0: Thank you for downloading the podcast today. If you're interested in Paul Bryan's Common Errors in English Usage book, this is a great time to buy the book online at our website, William James and Company, WMJASCO.com. You can also reach us by phone at 800-322-2665 or 503-284-6348. From now until the end of the year, We are offering the book for $15 with free shipping in the U.S. only. Very sorry, international listeners. You can't be included on this deal. But it's good through the end of the year. And if you have a U.S. address where you could receive the book, we'll ship it to you free.
1: This etymology makes for an interesting transformation because this turnpike was originally an obstacle and it's been transformed into a thoroughfare.
0: Welcome to the Common Errors in English Usage podcast. I'm here with Paul Bryants, author of the Common Errors in English Usage website and book, I'm the editor of that book and host of this weekly podcast, Tom Sumner. Well, hello, Paul. Hi, Tom. Paul, last time we were talking about streets and names of streets, and you were talking about your um, particular avenue that you live on. I got to talking about boulevards and avenues, and we were about to start talking about drives because uh, a lot of this boulevard and avenue talk was, these are things that you stroll around on. Um, mainly, or they're associated with that, but drives are definitely known for vehicular traffic.
1: Yes. Well, by definition. Yeah. I mean, a drive is something you drive on, and, and people used to drive on them in horse drawn carriages, of course, too. Sure. So originally, a drive was like an avenue. Uh, it referred to a carriageway that led to a large estate or through a park, and is often has associations with natural settings. So if you went for a drive on a drive, you would expect to see scenery and not just lines of stores or houses on either side of the road. And unlike avenues and boulevards, drives almost always meander. So that's part of their scenic charm, that you're out on a drive, you're turning in various directions and seeing constantly changing scenery. And often this is because they follow a shoreline. So if you're on the edge of a lake in particular, a river, some other natural feature, you'd be on a drive. So there are a lot of drives around, but they're not nearly as common as boulevards and avenues. They're rather special. Somebody says we live on um, Maple Drive, Sure,
0: Lakeshore Drive, that would
1: be it. Yeah, Lakeshore Drive. That would sound like it's going to be really pretty. Yes. <laughs> you don't want that to be a, an ugly or cramped little space. Now, very near us, like five minutes walk away from where we live on Kirk Avenue, is a very, very short gravel road, which serves exactly two houses and ends in a set of stairs that descend down to the shore of Puget Sound. Now, we go there frequently because we can uh, get down to the shoreline at that point. And it is absurdly named Beach Drive. Now, I maintain it should be called Beach Driveway (laughs) because it really functions mainly as the driveway for these two houses. (laughs) (laughs) However, the reason that we get to use it and that it's public rather than like other driveways where you shouldn't trespass, it's a road end road ends are a big deal here on Bainbridge, and I don't know if this exists on any other islands. I'd be interested to hear if it does. Early in its history, uh, people lived right around the periphery of Bainbridge, and so there were no roads in the interior. Uh, the roads were created by loggers, mostly, and in the late 19th and early 20th century, Bainbridge was repeatedly logged, uh, lumber, much of it used for creating wooden ships, especially for the China trade and going up to Alaska. And the island eventually became nothing but a sea of stumps. Very, very few. Uh, first growth or old growth trees on Bainbridge, which is surprising for people to learn because you come and feel like, wow, I'm in a forest. You look at, look at Bainbridge Island from Google Earth and except for a few cleared areas in downtown and a few other places, it just looks like this, this forest because the trees have all grown up again. But, um, the way people got around because there were no roads going into the center of the island was by ferry. These were little steamboats, which were called the Mosquito Fleet. There were many of them. They were small and noisy, and they went from dock to dock. And there were something like 70 of these all around the perimeter of the island. The island is about roughly the same size as Manhattan. Its population is around 25,000 plus quite a few uh, visitors who live here only in the summer. But, um, the transportation means was by means of all these little ferries landing at the docks. And the roads always ended at one of these docks, or almost always, if you're headed for the water. Gotta, and in order for the public to be able to use the transportation, it, it had to be available to the public. So by law, these were public thoroughfares. It just happened that the thoroughfare continued on a boat rather than on land. After the Mosquito Fleet died out and we now have a big ferry from Seattle that takes passengers back and forth, then on the north end of the island in the 50s, they built a, a, a bridge which connects us to the Kitsap Peninsula. There was no longer a function for the old Mosquito Fleet, and only one of those boats is left. It's the Virginia 5, um, which is usually referred to by old-timers by the way as the Virginia V. And um it is maintained by a Historical Society of Preservationists, and is, there's a fundraiser every year to go around the island on the Virginia 5 and see the island from from the water, which is very pleasant. We've done it twice. So the boats disappear. The road ends are still there. Most of the docks crumble and decay. There's one or two still remaining of the old ones, and people have built new ones here and there. What about the road ends? And what has happened is in recent decades, there's been a campaign to recover the right-of-way to these old, former public road ends. Now, people who live adjacent to them generally aren't happy about that. They would like to keep that as their property, and um, they would do things like plant a shrub right there in the middle or wreck a fence or just park their boat in the way. Um, but Road Ends Committee finally was formed that makes it its goal to open as many of these road ends to the public as possible to provide beach access. Because unlike Oregon, where you live, it sensibly says that people have access to the beach most places. It's just if it's beach, it belongs to the public. Here, there's a tangle of laws and court decisions that are pretty unclear, but also pretty restrictive, so that uh, homeowners often feel that the the beach belongs to them, and one rule of thumb is all the way out to the median tide line, so the halfway between the high tide and the low tide mark. Oh. And where we live, uh, near the Ferry dock, which used to be a dock, the beach slopes out very, very gradually. And in fact, that used to be the longest dock on the west coast because in order to get enough deep water for the mosquito fleet to tie up um, they had to stay way way out in the sound so it was a, a major uh, dock we have an old picture of it up in our guest room which is kind of entertaining people waiting for the ferry so um some of them had been maintained traditionally as ways for people to get down to the beach But others had to be fought for, sometimes with vituperative feuds and many lawsuits filed and legal problems of all kinds. And uh, one of them, Lytle Beach, was being fought over when we first arrived here and is now a very popular place for people to go to the beach. There are a couple of. Public beaches on the island, but if you want to get down and admire the water and the views from the water, you, most of the time you're going to have to use road end. And a lot of people don't know about them. They're not marked as road ends. There's just a sign saying shore access. Um, the shore access signs, however, are sometimes buried down in the shrubbery <laughs> below where you need to enter them, so they can be hard to find. And um, so the road end is a big deal around here. And we continue to try to create new ones. So Beach Drive is actually a road end. And that's getting around to our subject. Uh, The reason it's a public street is that there was a dock there at one time. And it was established as a public street for that purpose. And it still is. So nearby Beach Drive is a tiny scrap of gravel road now entirely buried in the woods with no view of the beach at all, named Beach Street, and it does not go to the beach. You have to switch on to a different street to go to the beach. And further south on the island, we have Pleasant Beach Drive, which is pleasant enough, but offers only a few rare glimpses of the water between very large houses with tall fences and hedges blocking access to the beach. That's one of the things about the architecture around here. People who own waterfront properties tend to be rather selfish about it and construct their lots in such ways that you can't even peek through and see it. And uh, certainly they don't invite the public to come strolling along the side of their house and get down to the water. Now, another similar kind of road to drive is a parkway, and it explains itself in its name pretty clearly. It's the rural equivalent of a boulevard. It's an arterial planted with trees, and the term originates in the last quarter of the 19th century, um, and is associated with towns, especially connecting to a town. Uh, the first ones were designed by Frederick Law Olmsted, the great park designer, and it said by some people that he came up with the term parkway. Originally, it was designed for pedestrians, horses, and horse-drawn vehicles, of course. Uh, now some of the parkways are just freeways, and they've retained the name parkway, but they they've lost their park-like qualities.
0: We have one great exception in the south, is the Natchez Trace Parkway. Running from southern Mississippi up to, oh, just about up to Nashville.
1: Yeah, there are quite a few of those actually that still exist. Yeah. But they're out in the country usually.
0: Yeah. This one is actually maintained as parkland. So there are no billboards and there are no, <laughs> there's very low speed limit and no commercial vehicles are allowed and so on. So it's a really, uh, really kind of a rustic kind of drive and speed limits 50 miles an hour and they enforce it vigorously very pleasant experience on that parkway
1: right so in the early 20th century a lot of these parkways became limited access scenic highways now larger main roads have as their generic term highways as we all know what a highway looks like Uh, they're not originally high in altitude they don't come from being mountain roads and they shouldn't be confused with the high road in the bonny banks of Loch Lomond. You'll take the high road and I'll take the low road and I'll be in Scotland before you. But me and my true love will never meet again on the bonny, bonny banks of Loch Lomond. Right? No, it has nothing to do with high roads. It refers to roads under high and mighty royal protection. They used to be referred to as the King's Highway in England. So in England, a public road was, by definition, belonging to the king. It wasn't a privately owned thoroughfare. So that's what a highway was. And highways traveled between towns, usually. So in the U.S., the main connecting roads are highways. Um, but the U.K. doesn't use that term very much anymore. And they'll just call what we would call a highway. They'll just call a road or a main road or a major road. Or one that we never use here, motorway. Mm. And motorways are pretty common. Where would you use freeways usually? they call it a motorway.
0: And, and not a highway, but a, certainly a famous way is the Appian Way from ancient Rome.
1: Oh, yes. Right.
0: That's a very, almost a prototype for this too.
1: Right. So, um,. Beginning in the 17th century, highways began to be associated with crime because robbers would wait alongside the road to prey on passengers, and they became known as highwaymen. This became so common that the whole idea of highway got a bad name, and to become a robber was to go upon the highway. Mm -hmm. Um, And we still have the expression highway robbery for exorbitant pricing. You could compare this uh, criminal association with street also going on the streets. could be becoming a prostitute and a street walker um, as a certain kind of prostitute. Um, made famous in Stephen Crane's novel, Maggie, a Girl of the Streets, 1893. Homeless people who live on the streets are called street people sometimes. Uh, if you're going to go out and do a demonstration, a protest... Then you take to the streets. So those are all um, sort of negative things that highways and streets are associated with, although if you're in favor of the demonstration, you might think that was a positive thing. There is a contrast uh, with a different kind and much more positive use of highways that comes from the Bible. In Luke 17, in a parable, Jesus speaks of the highways and hedges and this is a, a parable in which the rich person has invited all kinds of distinguished people to come to a feast, and they've turned him down and said they've got other things to do or they've got conflicts, can't come. So he sends his servants out to welcome in all the poor people that are living out, uh, the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind, be brought in to feast. So the servants are told to search on the highways and hedges, it has evolved over time into highways and byways, which rhymes better. And so looking everywhere, scrounging up, um, you know, trying to travel and hit every possible spot out in the country is called going on the to the highways and byways. By the way, to go back to the subject of an earlier podcast where I was talking about the Bible, this is some people argue is one of many anti-Jewish Parables in the new testament which are aimed at seeing the jews who uh, the christians viewed as being excluded from salvation or having failed to keep up the covenant and therefore be saved um So the people who had been excluded, the non-Jews, are being preferred by God. So the rich people who declined to take advantage of the invitations are the Jews who didn't deserve to be saved. And these people out in the byways who are being invited in, uh, would be the people who converted to Christianity from other religions.
0: Oh, jeez. Okay. (laughs) So we can't just have it the other way, right? Somebody's got an insert of this has to be an anti-Jewish parable. Is that?
1: Yes, um, that's the theory. And you can find a whole pattern of this in a whole lot of the parables where he's talking about the people you might expect to be saved, like we talked about the uh, prodigal son earlier as an example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the word byways has been adopted also, and the U.S. Secretary of Transportation has designated 150 distinct roads as America's byways. You can find lists of them online. The most famous reference to highway in the Bible, however, uh, is in Isaiah, Isaiah 43. And I'm giving it to you in the King James Version because that's the one that has become famous. The voice of one that crieth, prepare ye in the wilderness the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. Now, if that sounds familiar, it's probably going to be because you've heard a tenor sing it at the opening of a performance of Handel's Messiah. And um, that's one of the things I like about that. In the uh, first line, prepare ye in the wilderness the way of the Lord, is the uh, recitative, and then the aria starts, uh, and he with every valley and the music imitates the uh language there. So when he says crooked, his voice makes a uh, uh, sound that's crooked and plain is stretched out flat. So it's an interesting case of what's called word painting. Now, in the original context in Isaiah, this was a reference to the Jews returning from exile in Babylon across the desert to Jerusalem. So the prophet, in this case, is the one that's crying this. And he's saying, you know, we know there's a big wilderness between Babylon and Jerusalem, and uh, we're going to create a miraculous highway uh, that will take you through it. So they're laying whole low the mountains and hills, so you know, just super highway. It's you won't have to climb up and down hill; It'll go straight. In Christian tradition, however, this passage is quoted at the beginning of the book of Mark and it as, as a prophecy of John the Baptist, as a forerunner of Jesus. And here's what Mark writes. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who shall prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, comma, Prepare you the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins this is the kind of thing that Mark does a lot where he takes a passage out of context from the Hebrew Bible what Christians call the Old Testament and just totally ignores the original context and meaning and reads into it uh, a Christian meaning now he had an uh, example for that in Jewish interpreters of the Bible who had also done a lot of very creative re-reading of the text but you'll notice what happened is where Isaiah is saying The voice is saying, let's build a highway through the wilderness. Here, it's the voice is crying in the wilderness. Now, the reason that it's easy to do this, and you can't prove that one is wrong or not um, very easily, is that there is no punctuation, no commas, no quotation marks in the original text. So is the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way? Is the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way? Um, it could be read either way. What makes it clear in Isaiah is the following lines, which do tell you exactly how it's been made through the wilderness by eliminating things that make it wild. Uh, so it's pretty typical of this kind of uh, creative reworking. The conservative Christian translations, including the King James, alter the punctuation and so on of the Isaiah so it matches Mark, But if you look at uh, more modern translations like the New English Bible or um, the Jerusalem Bible, you'll find that uh, Mark's wording does not match exactly what Isaiah says. Now, another kind of grand road is a turnpike. Now, originally a turnpike, you know, it has to do with the turns in the road. No, it has to do with a spiked barrier. Now, a pike you may know is a weapon. It's like a spear and uh, could be used as a defense against sudden attack by warriors if you put them in a ditch. So you have your castle, you put around that a ditch. French word is foss, F-O-S-S-E, F-O-S-S-S-E, which was uh, the military term for that kind of a ditch. And then if you fix spears in it, pointing outward, if uh, a charge of horses comes down here, you know, those spears are going to go right into the horses and, and stop them. So that kind of ditch a defensive ditch came to be called a turnpike, that pikes are turned toward the invader. Some people may remember back in the Vietnam War, there were a lot of uh, casualties caused by bamboo spikes being put into similar ditches of this kind. They were called punji traps, P-U-N-J-I. Um, other references early on, though, seem to envision something uh, vertically oriented instead of horizontal, being more like a turnstile where there's something actually uh, physically turning to let you through. So eventually, that's what that came to mean. And a pay road would have a turnpike at the end where there'd be this barrier that was turned on an axis to let people through after they'd paid the toll. And then, of course, the toll road itself became known as the turnpike. And that's where Americans' turnpikes come from. Mostly on the East Coast, uh, Westerners have been very averse to toll roads. They grumble when they have to pay to cross a bridge. but
0: Yeah, toll bridges are one thing, but the roads, that's, they've got to draw the line somewhere, right?
1: Right, and it comes as quite a shock sometimes when people traveling in, in New England, especially and you suddenly find yourself on a turnpike and have to come up with the money. Mm-hmm. The Seattle waterfront has been torn up for some years and will continue to be torn up for some more uh, to replace the old crumbling viaduct, which uh, Highway 99 runs along the waterfront, very noisy and ugly. And it's a a hazard because of earthquake damage from several years ago, and uh, someday it will fall down. So what's happening is being replaced by a tunnel underneath, and that is going to be a pay tunnel. And it's going to be interesting to see how many people are going to want to use that um, when they have to pay instead of making their way through the crowded, often very clogged streets of downtown Seattle.
0: That, by the way, has nothing to do with Pike Place, right? And no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just got to clarify that.
1: Um, Americans shortened the word "pike" and applied it to generally to roads uh, in expressions like "coming down the pike." Something that's coming into reality, uh, coming onto the scene, is coming down the pike. And frequently, people mistake that and write it down the pipe, which makes more sense to them. Especially if you're not from the East, you don't know what a pike is. Um, and you think, well, it's traveling down the inside of a pipe.
0: Uh, that's a classic acorn, isn't it?
1: Yes, it is.
0: It's creating the, uh, the justification for trying to make pike work, whereas pike is a, an unusual word for us. Generally, but we know all about pipes and things travel through pipes, so must be coming down the pipe.
1: Yeah, this etymology makes for an interesting transformation because this turnpike was originally an obstacle, and it's been transformed into a thoroughfare. Yeah, yeah. Now, an alley—the word comes from French. It's a very straightforward adaptation of the French word for a narrow passageway, allée, to go. Um, and it often serves as a service access to the backs of stores. It used to be quite common in neighborhoods where you would have your front yard, but the garage would be out back, and there would be a driveway that would lead to the private entrance to the house and and the rear of the house, and there's still plenty of those around. Although when new housing is built, usually the garages are proudly front and center, often dominating the house. Some of them look like majestic garages with houses attached. Um, and the alley often had a positive association because it wasn't a public thoroughfare. It was a, a place that people might hang out in to visit with neighbors, encounter uh, their friends, the kids might play in it uh, in the back alleys. Um, and that kind of association is reflected in a very popular song in 1910, Sally in Our Alley. I talked, when we talked about comic strips, about Gasoline Alley, which was originally a comic strip about these guys that would hang out in the alley behind their house to talk about cars. Another famous alley is Tin Pan Alley, um, which was actually not an alley at all, but an area of uh, West 28th Street between 5th and 6th Avenues in Manhattan, where a lot of composers and companies dealing in popular music were located in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. And so Tin Pan Alley came to stand for the popular music of that era, and we still use it that way. You would not refer to uh, songs uh, of the rock and roll period, though, as coming from Tin Pan Alley. They had uh, a different name associated with it, the Brill Building, where a lot of the songs were composed that were performed by rock and rollers. Now, the origins of the name of Tin Pan Alley are kind of obscure, and Wikipedia has a, an article on it. And I'll read just a couple of paragraphs in that. Various explanations have been advanced to account for the origins of the term Tin Pan Alley. The most popular account holds that it was originally a derogatory reference by Monroe H. Rosenfeld in the New York Herald to the collective sound made by many cheap upright pianos, all playing different tunes, being reminiscent of the banging of tin pans in an alleyway. Simon Napier Bell quotes an account of the origin of the name, which was published in a 1930 book about the music business. In this version, popular songwriter Harry von Tilzer was being interviewed about the area around 28th Street and Fifth Avenue, where many music publishers had their offices. Von Tilzer had modified his expensive Kindler and Collins piano by placing strips of paper down the strings to give the instrument a more percussive sound. The journalist told Von Tilzer, your Kindler and Collins sounds exactly like a tin can. I'll call the article Tin Pan Alley. Mm. (laughs) Well, okay, we don't know when it first started exactly and where it came from, but the meaning is clear. It's supposed to be noisy. (laughs) Yes, right. Of course, there are also bowling alleys. So an alley can be something that's not only a sort of a street, but it can be a part of something. Um, another expression that's common is it's right up one's alley. It's right up my alley. It's right up your alley to be well-suited to somebody. Also right down the, your alley can be either one. Uh, alleys are not always one-way streets, um, but those expressions suggest and usually are not. If you go down an alley... Um, you got to have some way of coming back out again. But there's another phenomenon that amuses me. Here on uh, Bainbridge Island, when uh, you drive along north on Arrow Point Drive, our community is called Arrow Point. Of course, it's a point of land between, it's completely surrounded on the other sides by water, except by when you're traveling from the south. And uh, you'll come upon a sign that says, no outlet, and uh, there are, in fact, two places you can turn to the left before you get to the point, And there are the two ends of Venice Loop, and you can go on to Kirk and back out. So there is a, there is a way out, but it, it just amuses me to imagine that somehow down at the end of one of these roads, it's marked no outlet. You'll see a huge pile of cars rusting away where they got trapped and weren't allowed to leave. I think of the same thing when I see people marking their driveways with signs saying no turn around Um, which they mean please don't turn into our driveway in order just to turn around but uh, seems to suggest that once you get caught in their trap you're never gonna leave the most common reference today is a rather more sinister one than the expression back-alley abortions comes up in political debates a lot now a lane is a narrow way between a pair of hedges or banks uh, along a uh, stream, mostly in the country, and country lanes are still something we associate with the word lane, but it's also applied sometimes to narrow streets in cities and towns, uh, a little more of a thoroughfare than an alley. So the King James Version of the Bible translates uh, Luke fourteen twenty one, which we were talking about earlier, as go into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor. It's interesting. King James uh, urbanized it instead of going out into the countryside here, searching the city.
0: No highways and hedges. Right. Streets and lanes.
1: Yeah. Right. Now, I used to live on Maiden Lane in Pullman, where Washington State University main campus is located. The original Maiden Lane it runs through Covent Garden, and it's kind of obscure there what the meaning means, but the most common theory is that it was named after a statue of the Virgin Mary that stood in the street. Covent Garden was originally a Benedictine convent garden. Um, we think now today of convents as housing nuns, but they also house male monks uh, in the Middle Ages and renaissance so this benedictine convent garden housed monks attached to Westminster Abbey and they grew produce there for the Abbey Um, so convent garden became covent garden Mm. according to the website of Corpus Christi Catholic Church Queen Victoria had the statue removed in 1857 because she, quote, didn't take kindly to her carriage having to negotiate a three-point turn on her way from a favorite haunt at the Adelphi Theater. (laughs) And the website goes on to say, a less pleasant explanation for the name of the lane is that it is a corruption of the Middle English word midden, meaning a place where beasts of burden would relieve themselves. Archaeologists use the term midden, where, you know, waste heaps where you can often find bits of pottery and other treasures when you're digging an abandoned town site or residence. Still lane, if you just mention a lane in the abstract, people are more likely to think of a country lane than a city one, I think. Uh, the most common lanes we encounter now are subdivisions of wider streets and highways. So the fast lane, you know, the inside lane, the outside lane, and so on. Uh, and that leads to the expression, life in the fast lane. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, We have other subdivisions, like in racetracks. You can have lanes for the horses to run in and, of course, swimming pools, especially when you're swimming for laps. You swim in your own lane. So just in back of our property, there's an unmarked alley, which, uh, oddly enough, doesn't have a name. But on it live our friends Julie Hall and Sarah Lane. I think it would be so neat if it was called Hall Lane.
0: Well, yeah, that would be a little idea. But uh, this circles back to the original point here that we got started with, where your own avenue would be much better called a lane.
1: Right. Oddly enough, on the uh, old plat maps, when this area, which was called Venice, uh, was first being laid out, and before they actually built the roads and so on, the uh, little gravel alley was laid out as Grand Avenue. <laughs> fortunately that didn't
0: stick yeah well this is interesting and you know i keep thinking about all of these different connotations for all of these things that we call these roads and streets and lanes and avenues and boulevards you just kind of take it for granted and um one thing that i've noticed is our office is on broadway in portland and um I'm sitting here on Broadway, and you often see it written out as Broadway Street, <laughs> and that's jarring. Broadway is just Broadway, isn't it?
1: I've California people joke a lot, places like Camino Street.
0: <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Broadway is a way, so I don't see why we need to insert the word street after it, but um, it is interesting to think about how these um, different names for pretty much the same thing have such different connotations. Well, thank you, Paul.
1: Okay, that was fun.
0: Yeah, we'll talk next time. So long. That'll do it for the Common Errors in English Usage podcast. Send your comments, questions, and feedback to commonerrorspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.